Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Mechadon here with my co-host, V. I'm a mentality for life. Today is June 11th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are quarantined and social distancing still due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we're still figuring out a way to bring you a show at all costs. Today's show is epic. It is a must listen and a must share. We have police officer from Central Ohio, Chris Hughes, and we talk about everything from defunding the police, George Floyd, what he thinks his obligation should be to society, being a black police officer, who should be policing, what should be happening in certain situations in policing, and so much more. You really do not want to miss this. We also hit some news and notes. We talk about the coronavirus and its effect on sports, the NBA coming back, Michael Jordan, college football also potentially being back, the Democrats kneeling charade with Kentecloth, and a little bit more. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Don't forget now that our Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. If you want to support, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Don't forget, grab some wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? You are listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are joined by a very special guest today, Chris Hughes, who is a law enforcement officer from Central Ohio. Welcome to the show, Chris. How you doing? Hey, hey, what's up? How y'all doing, fam? Good, good. Thanks for joining us, man. We uh, Obviously, this is a very unique time um, in history, right? And I think that when you take a step back, sometimes you actually understand that this is not just, you know, oh, this is something that's happening now. But, you know, this is something that I think 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now will be written about in history books. And there's so many different angles um, to it. Uh, and we thought it's very important, important to kind of get the perspective of a law enforcement officer um, and a, particularly a black one, because I think that there are a lot of issues, obviously, um, surrounding race, yeah. um, but also policing. So mm-hmm. I, I guess before we could jump into some of the more kind of con- uh, questions of the day, tell us a little bit about how and why you decided to become a law enforcement officer. Um, well, uh, you know, as a as a kid growing up on the east side of Columbus, um, you know, I really didn't have issues with the police myself, um, but I lived in an area where there was a lot of crime um, and I saw them frequently. Um, but uh, my mom would always say, hey, if, if they're there, you shouldn't be. So um, I would always, you know, if I see something that looked like it was going to go left, I'd exit stage left myself, <laughs> um, but d- did a lot of sports. Um, so, uh, fast forward a little bit, high school, um, and then college at OSU, um, during my college years, um, I actually went to school for dentistry, um, ended up changing that during when nine 11 hit, um, we all were there together and, uh, nine 11 hit. And I was literally about to leave school to join the military. Um, spoke to my mother. She was like, Hey, you got a full scholarship. Go ahead and get that degree. <laughs> as soon as you're done, go do what you want to do. Um, needless to say, this led me into a, a criminology law enforcement mode. 
Um, so I um, did other social work and at an event at my church, uh, I met a commander um, with the agency I'm with. And uh, he, you know, we talked about, you know, changes in the community and what we would do to change the community. And, uh, you know, I wrote several things, um, you know, several things that we do now, uh, getting out of the cruiser, uh, being on bikes, being in the community, going to events. And he just was like, you ever thought about <laughs> doing this? And I was just yeah. like, well, nah, not really. I don't think it's for me. And he was like, you just gave me all these ideas and it's not for you. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. months, months later, discussing it with family and um, friends and, um, you know, just getting some people's shock reaction. Like, uh-huh. You, you want to do this? You sure? And I'm just like, you know, I think, I think it will work. A lot of like-minded people. I'm just trying to change the world, you know, especially, right. and, you know, on your level. So, and so then to say, I, I jumped in. So. so talk about that real quick uh, in terms of what do you actually, you know, cause there might be a disconnect. Um, I think there is a disconnect in certain, in certain communities in terms of what the role kind yeah. of, of, of police officers are and what it should be. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts in, in terms of kind of what you understand it to be the actual role? And maybe if there's a disconnect in society in terms of what, how they what they feel like the role actually is. So um, I, I agree with that. Um, there are, there is no trust in some communities. Um, and unfortunately some is, uh, you know, from my experience, it, it is the communities of, of color. Um, and we have to fix that. Uh, the primary role of a police officer is to serve and protect. And sometimes the serve portion uh, gets lost on uh, the community and um, sometimes the officer due to experience they may have had in the community they serve. Um, for me though, the service, um, portion is first and foremost. Um, I come from a family that's all about service. Uh, father did, uh, parks and recs and, um, uh, Franklin County children's services and mother always doing some volunteer or work in the community serving kids or, and whatnot. So, um, my whole family is like that. And, um, you know, just pretty much just, you know, that service aspect. I mean, you see uh, everything you see on TV is enforcement, 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 but there's that service piece and protection piece, you know, cause we're there to protect people, uh, from the ills and sometimes from themselves. So, um, uh, the history though, there is history that, that, that says otherwise with some, officer. So, um, I get it. Um, like I said, I'm from a community where, um, saw a lot of, uh, criminal things and, and law enforcement had to be there. So that's my take. And, and tell us a little bit about that. You mentioned in earlier that there's a lot of mistrust specifically in communities of color. Um, and you grew up in one of those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your mindset in terms of what law enforcement was growing up and how that shifted once you start thinking about actually becoming a police officer. So, um, you know, seeing what they did, I, like I told you, I, I was always out of there before they started doing anything. When I heard sirens or, or cruisers um, rolling, um, I got up out of there, um, whether it was in the house to my cousin's house down the street to the rec center, I was out. Um, yeah. I had a bike and I, and I <laughs> um, right. uh, but the shift happened when I actually started seeing, um, 
these uh, men and women do their job and actually learn um, who they were. I did uh, ride alongs. Um, and then one of my mentors, um, somebody I lo- looked up to, um, came to um, church. We were, he was mem- member, we were members at the same church and uh, he showed up and he was like, I heard you trying to get one of these. And he showed me that badge and I just was like, yo, yeah, right. For real, you know, and he was like, yeah. So um, there was a lot of, I don't know, it felt like a lot of uh, mistrust or, or com- you know, just a lot of the things I thought when I saw this individual have that because his character was something that I admired. Um, I was like, man, I'm making the right decision. Um, but yeah, I, there, there was a lot of things that I saw that um, was just like, I, and the, the thing is, is that a lot of times the uh, folks ain't doing always the right thing either. You know, that's, that's one thing we talk about amongst our African-American officers is that, um, you know, we got to check our own community too. Um, and that's hard being a, a law enforcement officer of color to, to tell others, Hey, we got to look at our community too. Cause they'll be like, Oh, nah, you, now you being the, now you being a police officer now you and I'm just like I'm just telling the truth I mean mm-hmm. there's things that we do as a community that's not cool and um, the first thing folks do is gr- grab that phone and call nine one one you know mm-hmm. so uh, for as much as a lot of us that you know don't trust them and and things of that nature um, we still gotta call the people that we pay to, to, to help us, you know? So. so let me, let me ask that too. Cause that actually brings up another interesting point is, is kind of about um, maybe the relationship with the communities that you're policing. How important do you think it is for police officers to either be from or familiar with the communities and the people that they're actually policing? So I think it's absolutely vital for you to be familiar with the people you're policing because um, even though you may not live there, this is, you are a part of that community. You are a vital um, person and um, part of that community. People trust you. They want to get to know who you are. You know, they trust you with their their family, their kids, their lives, um, their property, their businesses. Um, you are a part of that community, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Uh, by you taking that oath and, and joining that section of town that you're protecting, you are a part of that community. And sometimes it takes a, a, a while for um, that bond to be built, but you need to be consistently working on that relationship with the community. And that's with all relationships in life. You should, if, if it's something you value and you, you know, hope important to you, you should be working on building and uh, strengthening that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and specifically, like you are um, kind of a recruiting coordinator for the Columbus police. So in in how you recruit and and determine, hey, this might be a good candidate, what are the things or qualities that you look for specifically? So honestly, as long as um, they are qualified to pass um, our minimum qualifications, um, they can uh, they can take it. And it's it's uh it's it's objective, um, and it's a test. Um, a lot of the character traits are uh, you know evaluated later, in background, uh, and and I'm that's something I'm not a part of. So 
Okay. And in terms of in terms of like kind of you know, there's there's so many issues when it comes to to kind of the concept of policing and the understanding of policing and and the understanding of just relationships in this country generally and one of them that you can never ever escape in any kind of, in any context especially in any institutional context is race right and the and the effects of race and not just race like oh i'm black you're white but also how race has been used um as as a weapon at, at different points in times how race has been used as a as a way to create divisions um, and then also even race has been used to, in a way, you know, to create policies or not create policies. How do you actually, you know, cause you're a smart dude, right? And, and I know that you, you think beyond kind of just the, the surface, how do you evaluate kind of, even in certain, certain communities, like the history, right? The history of why a community is going through what it's going through, why there are actually infestations of drugs, why people are committing crime. How do you actually evaluate that? Uh, and then still know that you still have to kind of do your job. Uh, well, I, I just, I mean, again, when, when I think about my humble beginnings, I know people come from hum, humble beginnings and you can find a, 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 a gym anywhere. It, it doesn't necessarily matter where they grew up or how they grew up. Um, but it matters about their experiences and how they look and, and care about people. Um, and, and that's very important. Um, we know there are certain communities that have had terrible things happen to them due to the police. I mean, heck, I think about, you know, Black Wall Street, the his mm-hmm. historical concept of that. You know, mm-hmm. people think about things like that um, where our own, you know, military took action against us because we're doing well. And it's just mm-hmm. like, how could you ever, you know, I mean, but you, there's there's tons of people that join the military every year, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, so. Um, I, I, I really just believe it is the individual's um, interpretation and then then they'll, they'll go for what they want. If they want to be part of law enforcement, they do it. If they want to be part of uh, the military, they do it. Um, you guys are doing what you want to do and what you love. Um, so it, it really all depends on the individual. But I do understand those historical concepts and how that can deter someone from wanting to do this. Um, and then you also have family, you know, family that may have went through, um, you know, bad situations and they share that with you and then you'll develop a, you know, a disdain, a a mistrust. And that's hard to shake. It's hard to shake when this happened to your uncle, your, your, your brother, your, your your father, mother. So, I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about also kind of the experiences in the community, for example. So. Let's say you're in the community and you, you know, I'm just going to give an example and you see kind of a, you know, a young, young person or, you know, um, kind of committing crimes or whatever. And then, you you know, you kind of understand that community and you realize, OK, well, you know, he comes from, a, you know, the schools in this neighborhood aren't good. The mentors in this neighborhood aren't good. You know, there's there's not a lot. And again, not to say this is an excuse, so to speak, but it's kind yeah. of like the reasons why certain communities are the way they are, again, historically. How do you reconcile that, like with, you know, trying to, you know, help in that community and 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 protect and also criminalize certain things, but also understanding that these people' circumstances have been in a lot of ways fixed against them. Right. So, so I think it's a two way street. So, when 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 I got on, I I actually ended up going back to the neighborhood where I grew up um, and serving. 
Um, I developed a lot of new relationships, um, maintained the, the, the older ones. Um, and then I also uh, jumped into a bunch of mentorship programs. So we do a lot of mentorship. Because, like you said, that that um, that in the, that that child or or whoever is doing those things, I mean, maybe they don't have somebody to help them. Maybe this is just the, the way they know, and it's 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 upon us to help them. Um, you you obviously don't save everyone, but um, I've had a lot of uh, great interactions to where um, I've had a, a family friend or. a um, just somebody I met through work, like, Hey, I got, you know, my son and he's going through some things. Um, he's starting to do this. Can you talk to him? Mm-hmm. Can you talk to him? And then I always ask like, so do you want the cop or do you want the, right, you know, right. the me? And they're like right. both, yeah. both day. Right. And it's just like, really it's help. And it's a human emotion and it's just help. And yeah. I, so for me, again, I'm, I, <laughs> I think I do things a little uniquely just because of my perspective. Um, but I, and there's a lot, I mean, the thing though, is that there's a lot of us that do this and we, the pub isn't as great, obviously. Um, Cause it's like, that's what y'all supposed to be doing. You know, that's the, that's the sentiment among people is that's what y'all supposed to be doing. Well, no, my job description says this, but we, you know, you have to have a loving heart and, um, we, we mentor lots of kids through our programming and, and even, even older, man, you can be a 21 year old and be lost. You're, you're tip, you're a, For sure. you're classified as an adult, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't have a, a positive person in your life. And yeah. I, I, I used to say role model cause you know, people are role models. I don't know about that. I say positive person because, um, all people are flawed. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that and it's and the onus is on both. It's a two-way street. So that person, the, the child or the adult who's, you know, in, involved in that criminal act or whatever. I mean, the circumstances are tough sometimes, but you still have to, you know, find that integrity. And if I'm if I see you struggling, I gotta help. I gotta see my fellow man, human being, humanity and help. Because yeah. you know you got you got to love people too, man. Yeah. And that wins for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the the unique challenges I see with being a law enforcement officer is the power that comes with it and kind of the authority, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and how just human beings when they're given a certain level of power over other people, yeah. how inevitably that becomes a challenge, and you see that. Often in my experiences, many experiences with police officers essentially being bullies mm. or or abusing that power. They have a badge, they have a gun, you don't, right? How is that, you know, and you, and you work in it, I know you see that mentality. How is that mentality dealt with within police departments to, to kind of help check people's power? What do you got? But just how's it, how's the mentality dealt with? Yeah. Um, so um, to be honest, in my career, I've, I've, I've done this for almost 15 years. Um, I've seen it a few times. Um, it's incumbent upon the other officers to step in. Um, you, you know, that, you know, un- unfortunately, there are people that, um, you know, make it on the force and they do that. 
Um, but for the most part, it's incumbent upon others to step in uh, with a badge and a shield and speak out against it. Um, that that's that's my take on it. I I disagree. I, I don't like that. Um, but it. I mean, as you said, it does happen. Um, you you definitely have to acknowledge that. Um, and then you know those those people that do that should face some type of uh, counseling or discipline. Um, you that that is not your job. You are not to be a, a bully. You are to uh, respect the people that you serve, and you are to uh, hold that uh, power that you have. You know, with distinction. Um, you know, I you know that those Spider Man and all that with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I know that's that you know that's the thing, but I mean that's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true, and and um, a lot of times. Um, you get, you know, a 21 year old or a 22 year old that's never had any real power in their life. And and now they can make a traffic stop, pull everybody out, have people at gunpoint, you know. Um, but they also have the power to, you know, save a life to, um, you know, stop a shooting, stop a robbery. Um, it all depends on how you use that power. And um, unfortunately, that does happen. I mean, there's no way to refute it. But like I said, there needs to be some type of um, uh, counseling. And then if if that's not working, discipline or you need to be gone. I mean, period. There's there's a lot of jobs to where you do that one time and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It seems like in, in our, our profession, you get multiple chances um, when you mess up. And I, not that I'm saying that's right or wrong I, that's just how it is and um you know I, I, from what i'm seeing out here with protests and stuff people want that to change yeah and, and why is that that people are given such a long road i can't hear you i said why is it that officers when they when they so can, can you hear me yeah i can hear you now okay he was uh, v was gonna i i think he was gonna ask why is it that um i guess maybe just structurally why officers in particular are given such a, uh, I guess, a long leash, so to speak. And like you said, in many other professions, you mess up once you're out of there, you know, and, but we, we see some of these, you know, some of these cases and you look back at the history of police officer and they have tons and tons of complaints against them and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, but yet they're allowed to continue on. What, what is it about the, is it about the structure or the, or the culture that kind of allows that to continue? So I think it's, it's more so uh, the policy and then whatever the contract is that the uh, department has with the city um, that allows those things. Um, there's a there's a lot of um, money put into each police officer that is money from the citizens. So mm-hmm. from the start of the process through the academy, through, you know, their uh, on the job training and through the year, there's a lot of you know, thousands and thousands of dollars poured into each individual officer. So for you as a city, um, as citizens to pour all that money into that one individual and then they mess up, you know, you want to, I guess, uh, keep that that investment and, you know, just try to continue to fix those issues before they get rid of them. Now, some, you know, if you do certain egregious things, um, you know, you should be gone. Uh, there is no counseling. There's no, right. no no things. But if they're minor issues, a lot of times 
um, cities and, and, and departments feel they can counsel them. Um, mm-hmm. When it turns into a pattern, that's when um, it, I guess it's called like progressive discipline. So things, you know, ramp up. Um, but uh, in some cities that we see, as we've seen, it, it doesn't seem to take at all. And they, yeah. ma- they maintain their position. And those type of things, I don't really understand myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're doing consistent acts and um, there's no rhyme or reason for why you're doing them, uh, you need to leave. Chris, that's, this my, is, that's my take. This, this, is, this is a very refreshing conversation because I think that, first of all, and I'm sure you hear this all the time about, you know, not all cops are bad and it's just a few bad apples and so on and so forth. And one of the issues that we that we as citizens have with that is that. You know, and a lot of it, you know, Chris Rock did this. It's, it's funny, but it's a, it's a good point. It's like, uh, you know, you can't have 5% of bad apples as, as a pilot in the pilot industry. Like, oh, well, I'm right. just not going to land today. You know, that people's <laughs> lives are at stake. So right. this, this, the stakes are also higher. But I think the bigger thing is acknowledgement of issues, right? Because I think, and, and honestly, to me, I feel like if more officers were willing to do that, yeah. Um, publicly, right? And I understand there's, you know, and we're going to talk about the, the, maybe like the code in a second, but I think if more officers were willing to do that publicly and say some of the things publicly, like, listen, we're not perfect. There are a lot of things that go on that, that I don't necessarily agree with. That doesn't mean that I want you to vilify me, but I do acknowledge the things that are happening in the community. I think that would be a huge step to, to kind of healing and mending certain relationships because part of the problem that people have, and I'll ask about the kind of code, is that they feel like even when the good officers know that certain bad things are happening, they still refuse to say anything, either in that moment, like you said earlier, about stepping in in the situation mm-hmm. or after it. Talk a little bit about that because it seems like there's, there's a even if there's not an official code of silence or whatever, the blue code of silence or whatever they call it, there seems maybe there's a pressure somehow where people don't feel like they're going to say anything and that just creates mistrust in the community. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And to me, my personal opinion is I kind of equate it to the no snitching. Mm-hmm. Um, I know y'all know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, that's how I equate it. Um, not right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and more should, more people should come forward. Um, like you said, though, there are, um, unfortunate consequences that people are afraid of, mm-hmm. um, you know, afraid of being a target, afraid mm-hmm. of not getting their backup, afraid of um, just being left out on an island and blackballed. You can't get promotions. Like mm-hmm. I've seen, I see all this stuff on so- social media that is going on in, in other departments to where they can hold you back. You can test well, you can do all kinds of great things. You can get commendations and just cause they don't like you or what you've done, to call out others who are in the wrong. And I don't, I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not, I know yeah. it does exist. Um, and um, it, it, it seems to be just something that's there, but I agree with you that more officers calling people out on that and saying, yes, this is real. And that, you know, it needs to be eliminated. It needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to happen more. Um, right. me, 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 I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I do that. And, um, I get, I, I have a, I get a, a target on my back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I do a lot of the good things too. And, you know, it, it, it balances that out, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a believer in what's right is right. And what's wrong is wrong. 
And if I see something wrong, I, I need to say something. And um, I, I, I hope and pray that uh, more like myself will continue to do that. And then, you know, and then there's another side of where um, there's people who <clears throat> are like, I've never seen it. So I don't know that it's real. Um, uh-huh. And I mean, that's that's kind of a, a blind eye approach uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and uh, saying that, hey, well, you know, since I've never actually seen it, I don't know that it exists here. And uh-huh. uh, for me, you know, I'm not going to hear this over and over and over and over and then believe, oh, it's still not real. I I, mm-hmm. I, I just can't do that. So, yeah, and, absolutely. And I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to yeah. go to um, the concept of profiling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, specifically against people of color. It almost seems like there's a lot of preconception when amongst a lot of police officers of a different sense of danger when they're pulling over a person of color, right? Mm. I've had experiences where I've gotten pulled over. And the first question the officer asked me is, do you have any bombs, explosives, or firearms in your car? And, and, you know, and it seems like there's an immediate sense of fear from the police um, when they profile and they see a person of color um, that they're, they're called for versus a white person. You almost always see, it being peaceful when it's a Caucasian being arrested, but a lot of the confrontation and violence happens or happens when it's amongst people of color. Why do you think that is? And, and how do police departments work toward addressing that issue? So um, what I know is that uh, um, implicit bias is a real thing. Um, Learned about that, um, how people have, um, misconceived notions about people from what they've seen on TV, what they've heard from family, how they've grown up. Um, and there is a lot of that. Uh-huh. It exists is very heavy. Um, a lot of departments are now, I say in the last 10 years, getting real heavy in the training of that, um, learning about cultural sensitivity. Um, those are things that a lot of, um, people are just, you know, they, those those misconceived perceptions exist and we're, you know, trying to help people identify that in themselves so that when they do make that traffic stop or they do show up at that house, that, that those aren't the first words out of their mouth. Um, again, it does happen. I, I mean, B, I know that, that that's a horrible experience and, and I wish it didn't happen, um, but it, it happens. And, and you, I'm sure there's, you know, rolls of, of or rolls of tape. I was going to say, uh, but like vi- tons of video um, that shows where that happens. Um, but, uh, you know, those are identifiers for some things. And, um, you know, it's, it's plain speak. It's plain speak when they ask that. But um, like I said, it's, it's really the implicit bias that is driving that. And sometimes it is fear. I mean, if you're if if, if you the last thing you saw is a, a male white shoot somebody before that then the next time you pull over a male white, you may have that issue. You know what I mean? Or, you know, you saw somebody, you know, do some heinous act. And that's, I mean, you may need counseling before you go back in the field. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of that. The, um, and yeah. I mean, I, I, I just acknowledge that th- that exists. So speaking and speaking of that too, you know, one of the things I just saw a graphic recently, this actually this week, that just uh, just struck me in the in the heart, you know, because I'm I'm born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, 
Um, and, you know, I have a, a deep affinity for kind of, you know, the Buckeyes and everything. Everybody knows that, right? But no, I saw no. a graphic that had um, kind of the highest rate of um, police murders against African-Americans. Yeah. And Columbus yeah. was by far, in a way, number one in the yeah. whole nation. Yep. And again, let's just assume for the sake of this discussion that that data is legitimate and it's done yeah. well and all that. What do you think when you hear that? I mean, literally, what what? Where do you even go from that? When when from that, you know, in terms of addressing what that actually means, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's this the true answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I I saw the graphic um, maybe a few months ago, mm-hmm. and my first question was like, "Where's that data coming mm-hmm. from?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did research to find out like if that was true, mm-hmm. and. Um, Obviously, you could you can't get all the data from all the departments that are involved in that city. Right. So, um, yeah, just it, that's a, a terrifying statistic if it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, I I honestly, you know, you know, I would I would go and talk to different communities just to uh, you know just say, hey, I don't know if this is true or not, but you know, let's work together and figure out how we can lower this mm-hmm. um, if this is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, a, like I said, is a very scary stat um, and it's something that um, no city would be proud of, mm-hmm. um, especially being a, a black man mm-hmm. um, from the city like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a terrifying stat because, you know, we have kids, we have brothers and sisters in this community. And, and if it's that high, the likelihood yeah. of somebody that we love or know, um, you know, could be a victim of that. And um, that's something that would. Uh, be devastating to us. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, when I saw the stat, it just horrified me. And like I said, I'm, I was hoping that it, hoping and praying that it's, you know, a made up stat, you know, right. because people can, you can skew statistics For any sure. way you want to. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, but like you said, if, if we're saying that it is true, then it's just a terrifying stat. And, uh, I would, uh, very well want to work with, uh, communities and, and, whatever I can do to help lower that stat. Cause one of the misconceived real quick, the, one of the misconceived notions that a lot of um, people have, uh, I guess, particularly white people, white people in this country is that if you don't do anything wrong and you have nothing to worry about and you're never going to have a bad experience and, and, and the cops will leave you alone and this, this and that. And that's just not true. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, like I said, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, I went to a Catholic school. Not that that means I don't do stuff, didn't do bad stuff, but you know what I mean? I, I you know, I came from a, a good family and I was harassed constantly. I mean, me, my brother and I were harassed constantly. You know, obviously I've never been arrested, never been charged, never any of that stuff, but pulled over, pulled over for driving, a, asking me whose car is this? Because it was a nice car. Followed to my house after I was given a ticket. Came to my house at 1230 in the morning to say, oh, I need to change something on your ticket. Like my parents were like scared out of their mind rolled up on you guns pulled on you you don't even know what why you're like i'm like 16 17 you know um all those type of things so i say that to say that first of all just to kind of debunk the the idea that you know if you're not doing anything wrong you don't have anything anything to worry about but also kind of talking about reform right Mm -hmm. because and reform is such a broad word and it means so many different things and sometimes it really is something that needs to be more, you know, tailored and specific to that particular department or that particular city, because there are issues that might be happening here that aren't necessarily happening in, I don't know, some other city in North Dakota or something. But um, one of the things that's come up recently is, you know, this 
movement to quote unquote defund the police. And I think, first of all, I want to speak on that a little bit because I think, and I want you to speak on it too. I think there's a notion that when people say that, that means that we're getting rid of every single police officer ever. Like, no, that's not, that's not necessarily what it means. It, right. it, it could mean that, but it, it more so means that we spend a lot of money out of those, each budget um, for police. And maybe there's a way to go and look at that and say, let's reallocate some of this money to education and some of the healthcare and some of the social services. Maybe not police aren't needed for every single thing that we use police for. Um, so when you talk about, when you think about reform, where, where, what do you think about as, as an officer? Obviously your job, you want to keep your job, but I think you also want things to be better. Yeah. So I, I believe in um, just a, a, a annual evaluation. Everybody gets an evaluation. Um, systems should not be exempt. Um, and I think that uh, they all of these systems need to be evaluated. If, if people want to defund the police, then they should take a look at it and see what makes sense, what needs to you know stay, what needs to be removed. And then, you know, legislators that we put in office do what they need to do. Um, I, I, I'm not, um, for or against that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do understand why people think it, but I, I do see the flip side of that. Um, you know, I, I don't want to have a, a lapse in my police services, um, because, you know, a certain thing has been defunded. Um, and you know, but I, I do see the need for, you know, better spending in our education systems and, and, you know, other places that need money more so than, you know, law enforcement. I understand that. Right. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, I, I'm, I, just to address the first part of your question is um, I'm sorry that happened to you and your brother. Um, it, that's not right. Um, and there's a lot of uh, things that, uh, again, we, we go back to V talking about the power um, that is unnecessary. You need, you need to do your job properly. Um, you, uh, probable cause and uh, reasonable suspicion are the reasons that we, you know, do what we do. Um, if you don't have that, then that ne doesn't need to be happening. Mm -hmm. Um, you should, you should go off the facts and go off the actions, you yeah. know? So, um, I, I don't think those things are right. If you're doing it wrong, if you're harassing people just because of the color of the skin, that's not good. And it needs to right. change. And like I said, uh, evaluation, and, and, you know, um, looking at the whole situation and then uh, retraining or, or, or discipline or you, or you need to be fired, period. Absolutely. Well, I, I wanted to touch specifically on the violence aspect, right? America is obviously a very violent country, but within that, all the data and statistics point to, by and far, police departments throughout America being the most violent mm -hmm. um, in terms of actual death um of citizens right i saw statistics <clears throat> that in a matter of days there were more police killings in america than there were in the last 24 years in england and wales um how is how do we fix kind of that problem right like every police officer has a gun we do have a brutality issue we do have a violence issue where police are taking people's lives unnecessarily the duty of police officers is to protect and, and serve and to deactivate a situation or calm it down. But it seems like in America, a lot of times the police come and add fuel to the fire versus putting that fire out. How do we fix that problem? Is it reducing the number of police officers with guns? Is it is it training? How do we kind of fix 
this obvious and glaring problem that we have throughout police departments in America? Um, I think that it's um, it is a uh, like you said, that is a um, an American issue. It's been like this for a very, very long time. Um, when you have a place where everyone can have guns, I mean, you, you know, you see people's arsenals out here. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, the, the government gives us an opportunity to, uh, help with that, you know, um, and police the neighborhoods and, and things of that nature. Um, I, I think it's, a it's, it's going to be a, a group effort to make those changes. Um, we got to have legislators look at these things. We got to have uh, local uh, council people, mayors, um, governors look at all of this stuff, um, take in the data and then make the changes as needed. Um, there's I mean, I, I'm, I'm just like you guys. I see this stuff um, on TV as well, um, where, you know, another person shot another. Now, on the flip side, though, a lot of times the media will draw drive a narrative that isn't necessarily true. And then when you see the other parts of what exactly happened, the whole story, you're like, well, dang, I'm glad the police were there because that person was setting up to do this or that. Um, you know, so um, a lot of times you have to see the whole story. Um, but uh, but I'm, I, I agree with you that I think it is uh, uh, just a, you know, American issue. Um, and then, so you think about Wales and, and, and those countries over there, they, they don't even have guns. Yeah. Like 90% they, they of the police don't carry guns. <laughs> yeah. They don't carry guns at all. And I just think that's a different, um, uh, philosophy in policing. They're, they're, uh, you know, their citizens would, um, unless you're in the military, they, they're like, you, you got a gun? Like uh, what? Like, wow. And it's just a, it's a different philosophy and, and way of life, um, over there. And, you know, had had we done that, if we had that over here, uh, I'm sure it would be the same. I'm sure mm -hmm. that the rates would the homicide rates would be lower uh, um, and people wouldn't be expected to be. But, um, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, this is America and um, this is um, this is how, how we live. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, I think, you know, the, the different branches of government are the, are the way to go as far as getting those changes. Um, I don't know. I don't even know that uh, having uh, officers that walk around with guns without guns would be a good idea, to be honest. Um, you know, because I, I think there would be a mass exodus uh, from law enforcement if that was the case. Um, yeah. I know I would definitely not be doing that if they were like, yeah, nah, you today, uh, Hughes, you don't have a gun. You're uh, working X, Y, Z area um, and we're looking for this suspect. Yeah, nah, no, thanks. Right. I'm good. Right. I'm yeah. good. Especially because I think, like you said, the way society has kind of become and developed, you know, and it's I, not. Yeah, go ahead. B. Yeah. And I think I think that the issue isn't the fact that all police officers carry guns. It's the power, the it's power, the thing. power mm -hmm. and making sure that that power Thank is you. checked consistently and constantly, because just the ability, just like if you have a gun <clears> at home <throat> and you never shoot it, um, you're not going to you're not going to necessarily know how to use it. Right. And also just even when you get a gun, the training that they give you, that this is self-defense Correct. only, it's not Correct. meant to be a weapon to be an aggressor. Right. And I think that that's kind of the issue that comes. It's not good police 
who have a head on their shoulders having a gun in case some shit goes down. Right. It's police who have that gun. And now that power trip comes in and it's like the first thing they think to is go to their gun versus all the other steps that you should take before you go to your gun as a police officer, because the moment you pull your gun, that escalates a situation Absolutely. Uh-huh. to deescalate the situation. I think that's what we need to tackle is how do we better manage our police officers with guns, knowing what that comes with. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And a lot of that comes down to training as well. Um, we need to be better trained and, and in training more often and put in uh, stress based situations so that you are more prepared uh, when you do go out there. Um, there, I mean, I, I, my agency does a, an amazing job um, with us and it, it is constant. There's, uh, you know, training all the time. And, um, you, you know, in, in the, the shootings that I've heard of and know of, um, they've been legitimate um, from, uh, from a, a, a training standpoint, from a, a tactical standpoint, from a legal standpoint. Um, and I, I agree with you, people that are, um, you know, out there using their guns as just an ag- ag- aggressive tactic and, and using them the wrong way, they need to, they need to face justice. Um, just like any other American citizen would. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is a goal that I've, I've seen and heard that people want is that, um, you know, if, if, if police officers are going to do criminal acts and they need to be treated as such. And, mm-hmm. um, that's something that I agree with because, uh, uh you know, it, that it needs to be fair. It needs to be fair. And, um, you know, it, there's some people that will say, well, if a, if a police officer had to use their gun, then they were in the right. Well, we've seen videos across the country that show that is wrong. Mm-hmm. That is wrong. And um, uh, each situation is evaluated differently. At the same time, though, if 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 you're you've done something, you know, a heinous act and you need to to, to go, you know, be charged and, and, and go to jail and prison. And Chris, that that. That type of sentiment and that type of acknowledgement, again, I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it again because it's important. I think if we were to hear that, we as citizens were to hear that more often from police officers, our kind of impression of policing and um, even our hope for what policing could be, I think would be substantially different. I mean, at the end of the day, when we see something and we watch it for nine minutes and then you try to tell us that we didn't see what we saw or you don't, you can't even acknowledge you know, I can understand the perspective, like, listen, we don't know everything that happened. Right. You know, let me, let's use caution. I get that. I'm a lawyer. I understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you, when we actually, when you're trying to actually tell us that we didn't see something that we, we know we saw that, then that's also adds to the quote unquote mistrust, not just the mistrust that's happening in, in interpersonal situations, but overall. And then that's when people say, listen, bad apple spoiled the whole bunch. So yeah, maybe all of you guys aren't the ones that are doing the killing, but you guys are kind of in a, in a gang some people say like legalized gang where you guys all like you said no snitching and it's kind of just this this code and that and that um builds mistrust and so that leads me to kind of my next question which is about protests and i think that you know you've been very candid with us and first of all i want to thank you again for that um but i think that even the protests kind of i would want to get your opinion on it because on, on one hand it sounds like you understand certain outrage that people have and and the pain and and um, disgust that people have 
But you also know that, you know, you, for example, personally are a guy who's in this trying to do the right thing. And theoretically, you know, you could be in more danger now if people just kind of lump you into what everything that's going on. So how do you even evaluate these protests, given the fact that you're black, given the fact that you do understand, but also given the fact that you're a law enforcement officer and want to see things be better um, from that standpoint? So so I say this is our my position as a black law enforcement officer is one of the toughest positions to be in in this country. Um, uh, and I just say that from experience uh, being on being on the front lines of a protest like I was uh, these past uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, it's, it's tough to see people with so much hurt, anger and pain. And um, in order for us to try to, you know, s- protect people and property, um, uh, it, it, it's just a, a mind boggling and terrifying uh, situation for people to be in um, on both sides. The, um, you know, the protests, I, I support the peaceful protests. Um, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're out here. I'm glad they're fighting for, um, you know, change. I'm glad they're fighting for that change. Um, obviously, you know, I don't support the damaging of people's property. Um, Soul Classics, one of the one of the awesome stores in the short got super destroyed. And that was one of my spots, you know, right, like, right. you know, like, um, but it's just like, um, it's very, it's very, um, it's a very tough time, but, um, you know, and then I come home and have to explain to my family, like, you know, this is why I'm doing what I do. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I support, you know, what people are doing, protesting right. peacefully because, you know, I watched that, that video of George Floyd lose his life too. And I immediately, um, I mean, my heart hurt watching mm-hmm. that. Uh, one, because uh, a human being lost his life and then, um, you know, and his family lost lost him. And then two, because uh, somebody that wears a shield like me was the one, you know, taking his life and mm-hmm. um, just thought immediately about the backlash that was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's still hard for me to talk about right now just because Same. it's Same. just... Uh, the visual and um, is is it? It was probably one of the worst things, um, you know, that everybody has seen, and, mm-hmm. and even my fourteen year old when, you know, or thirteen year old when 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 she tells me like, yeah, you know, and now now she inspires me by uh, her version of protest uh, through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love her more for it. Yeah. Um, but it's just it, it was such a, a heinous act. And and, um, and I'll tell you, people in my agency, there is not one person that supports that. Mm-hmm. Not one. And people have been vocally coming out <clears throat> and saying that they do not support that um, and that it, it was a it was a crime. It mm-hmm. was a crime. And that's that's every race. Mm-hmm. That's every race. Um, and they've come out and said that. So um, that for me is a big deal for the place that I work for, because, um, you know, there are some places I know I read something on social media where there was a, um, uh, a, a like, a, a I don't know what they call it, like a, a, a order down in Florida that was telling, uh, the Atlanta six and the, the Minnesota officers that, Hey, you know, once y'all beat the charges, come work for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that just blew my mind. Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? 
Right. You know, so yeah, I think right. that actually happened already with um, the officer that that shot Tamir Rice. He got mm-hmm. he got a job at another department. Yep. Very oh quickly. wow! I didn't very know that. Quickly. Yeah. Um, and but you can but as a citizen, you can see the disappointment to be like, oh, so so it's okay. I mean, it's like a validation. That, that's right. where that's where the mistrust comes in. Right? Absolutely, it's, it's like it seems like the voices of reason or voices like yours aren't the voices that are heard. And oftentimes, when something happens, the police and 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 the district attorney stay quiet, right? Yeah. Like they don't take the time to understand that this is a community issue and they need to address the community. Um, and, and I had two questions circling back to the, the pri- protests and riots, right? Yep. As far as the responsibility, again, of police officers in those situations, right? It's mm-hmm. a very difficult position, Yeah. obviously, but it seems like there's a, you don't control the decision-making, but when the first thing that happens when protests happen is that a bunch of police come out in riot gear with tear gas, that's a psychological signal too. Yeah that it's us against them. Um, and I've seen you join protests and it seems like that would be a much better way to handle this is to say, Hey, as a community, we're all suffering. Right. We're part of your community. Why do you, why is that? Is it a fear thing? Why don't. So I think, I think honestly, it's a training thing. So when, when a B and C happen, right. year goes on and this is the procedure. Mm-hmm. So, but over the course of days, you go, "Hey, this isn't working. <laughs> this isn't working. Right. Let's try a different approach." Mm-hmm. So, when the initial thing isn't working, and both sides are, you know, you know, stalemating, you have to try a different strategy. Just like chess, if you stalemating with somebody, game and game, you have to try a different strategy. So. Um, ultimately the different strategy ended up being to work together, um, whether march together, whether have a meal together, whether, um, you know, have a meeting together. Um, those are things that seem to be working for different cities, you know, and, um, you, you have to try a different approach. Um, cause sometimes, like you said, that when people see riot gear, you know, there's a fear yep. one there's a um, there's there's anger that goes with it because you know they're like oh also oh, they coming out to hurt us and right. we out here peaceful protesting mm-hmm. and then you know of course you have the people who are not peaceful protesters mm-hmm. and they're chucking stuff bricks right. and right. scooters and and bottles of bodily fluid um, you know uh, that ain't right either mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so. Um, I, I do. I to your point though, I see how it looks like us against them because it. I mean, essentially, it is. And um, like I said, you had to. Ch- you have to change that approach, though. You had to. And um, for for me though, a lot of people were like, "Well, why didn't y'all come out here first? And I heard that a lot. Y'all should have came out here first to talk to us to come come and talk to us. And to that, I said to a lot of people, like, "Well, you weren't ready to listen." And I don't think that anything I could have said after watching that because of the emotion of of everyone that saw that. And and it was just it was just bad. And then it doesn't take a lot of it. Like like you guys have said, you know, 
one apple spoils the you know spoil the whole bunch. If one peaceful protester chucks a brick, all that all the all that goes out the window, and it's a yeah. uh, it's a uh, um, you know you you you're you're stopping a riot at that point. Yeah. So and that's that's our job. That is our job. You know. So you know y'all pay us to do that to stop them from destroying the city. You know, but I, I agree with you. There are different tactics and different methods, um, but but you go with um, what what the training is first, and then what the, what that chain of command decides to do. So, and the second question that I had on on something you touched on was um, being an officer of color, specifically, mm-hmm. right? Um, it seems like that comes with a unique psychological <laughs> challenge, right? In the sense that I've seen officers of color who almost feel like they're challenged from both sides. Right. In the sense that, Oh, there's no, that's a fact. You're on one hand, you find officers who are trying to, you know, like, uh, like they said in the NWA song, black officers showing out for the white cop. Right. Um, <laughs> you have that element. And then you have the other side of it, which is your cu- community sometimes looks at you or, does look at you like oh yeah sell out right you know? right how do you how do you balance that and how do we kind of fix that issue on both sides because it does create issues within officers in how they police and it creates issues on the opposite side within the community um that mistrust let me one thing to add to that v um i don't know if you've seen the video out of atlanta uh the of the six officers that pulled the college students out of the car, um, brutalized them, tased them. That was actually my cousin. Oh, um, and that was something that just happened like last week. And m- I think five of the six officers were black officers. Oh, and so there's also a dynamic too that I think, you know, to piggyback with V saying that where a lot of people don't understand like, well, why, you know, why are you saying it's racism? But there's, you know, black cops are doing this stuff too. So I just wanted to throw that out there also as you, as you answer that, that that's another um, kind of dimension to this too that I wonder if you deal with. Um, so yes, um, as a black officer, we get um, we get a lot of flack because um, um, we are we are we are the community we serve. Um, uh, it's, it's just a hard place to be, but you could. I mean, you got to have thick skin. I mean, to do this job, you have to have thick skin. Um, there's de- there's days that are better than others. Um, but uh, yeah, I've I've been called all kind of everything, and uh, but that's something that all law enforcement face. I mean, it's a little more sensitive for us though because it's, uh, I guess, to, to lack a better phrase, your people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. my own people doing this to me. But I, I understand the flip side that as the law enforcement, they're saying my own people doing this to me. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a. a you know, just a just a, a middle of the road issue. And, um, you know, but I always whenever I get a chance, though, um, whether I make an arrest, well, whether I'm just having a community event, um, I like to talk to people because I want to dispel any misconceptions on on the community side. And then when I have a time to, to sit down with officers, I don't know. I want to sit down and, and talk to them as well, because, I mean, there's a lot of uh, Q&A that goes on for both sides when. You know, if I sit down with a a, a, a non minority officer and they got questions for me, I want to get them the answer so they're more informed. Mm-hmm. You know, or I sit down with a you know, because I've had man, 
I've had I've had family members question me and be like, you know, just mad. Like, why are y'all doing this? Why are y'all doing this? And then I'll explain. And then I'll also tell them at the same time what I think is right and what I think is wrong. So there's a lot of um, just, I guess, just conversations that need to happen. And then just just, you know, being real about it. And and if you know something is wrong, man, just just call it out. You got to call it out when it's wrong. And, um, you know, those officers down in Atlanta, you know, when I saw that, I just again, just, oh, my gosh, what is going on? You know, we're we're trained a certain way. We don't do what they did. And, you know, when when people see those actions, though, done by the police, they think all police do that. And every every jurisdiction and and department is trained differently and mm-hmm. statewide different states are trained differently and I, I i think ours is one of the best in the country um and you know i i think we got the stuff to back that up as well um but it's just um those are it's a hard place to be man being a uh african-american police officer and, and even with again with your family mm-hmm. and your, your, your wife your kids and you come home and and immediately this is what we talk about and it's yeah. like oh gosh i just was right. doing this for 12 hours and now right. it, here we go you know right. but it's something that needs to happen though because yeah. they want understanding too and and i love that i need i need for more understanding to happen and more people to speak out about stuff that that's wrong and when it's right let's 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 celebrate the wins too mm-hmm. let's, let's celebrate the the when, when the community does come together when there is peace let's celebrate that as well um yeah. Um, so that's my take. Yeah. Well, Chris, look, you, you, you're an excellent example of what law enforcement can be. And I think that that was one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on the show. First of all, I appreciate you being as, as candid as you've been. And believe it or not, these type of conversations, I think, do provide context to a lot of people who are hurting and potential healing and hope. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have hope, then what do you have? Right. right. And I think that's a, essentially what people in our communities and across the country want is, is hope. So we, we know we know you got to go. We want to get you out of here. We're going to switch subjects, uh, do something totally different and fun, lighten up the mood. We do this a lot on our show just to, you know, humanize people a little bit and also get, you know, give people a chance to kind of tell us who they are. All right. so the first question I want to ask you is your top five musicians of all time. So who are the artists that even, you know, even when you were growing up or now are people that have inspired you throughout your life? Number one should be NWA. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so uh, I guess number one for me is just Outkast. Like, okay. uh, just I love them dudes, man. And mm-hmm. together or separate, so that's that's number one for me. Yeah. Um, I'll go uh, Tupac mm-hmm. second. Um, I'll go uh, Biggie third. Um, and then okay, let's let's get into some new juice. So I'll get okay. with uh, uh, Kendrick. Okay. I'll get Kendrick and then uh uh let's see. Uh I gotta throw a little R and B in there. So uh let's say um uh, I don't know, there's so many. I right. actually I I go all old school and throw in Marvin Gaye. Let's do that. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. All right, cool. And, and your, then we got one more. Your top five athletes. Oh, Ooh, okay. All right. Um, God, gotta do Jordan. I'm a, I'm a basketball head, man. So, um, I'll do Jordan, Kobe, Bron, and then we'll go football. I go, uh, uh, Barry Sanders, and um, 
Mike Singletary. Wow. Yeah. I like that. I like that yeah. list. Nice, nice Chris, mix. Man, yeah. Yo, once again, man, <laughs> seriously, thank you so much for joining us on the Politics Podcast. This, is, this has been very, very helpful, even for me, because I think part of what people don't realize is that everybody is hurting, like you said, including yeah. some of you guys, the officers as well. And so mm-hmm. these conversations are therapeutic in a way, because yeah. I think you, you don't, you know, part of us feel powerless. Um, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But I think sometimes these conversations are important because they help just get clear the air and then it makes, gives you a better sense of clarity as you move forward in terms of the type of things that need to be done and, and where you can potentially attack. So um, I think this again, is also a unique opportunity, right? Because uh, the timing of all of this um, probably couldn't have, it, it, it's terrible, but it couldn't have been better in the sense that people are actually paying attention. Right. Um, and the first step is acknowledgement, right? We do have issues in our community, but we also really do have issues in our police departments across the country. And what we need to do is is tackle them and address them and fix them aggressively. Um, and, and the only way we're going to do that is by working together and, and actually having these conversations. So I want to give you, give you the last word. If there's anything that you want to say, you know, if it's to the people or the reassurance or anything that, you know, if you don't have anything, it's fine. You said plenty. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that people are going to really, really enjoy hearing from you. Yeah. So um, I will say this. So um, uh, if you get a chance, people read uh, Micah 6, 8 It's from the Bible. That's how I choose the police. And then um, just uh, know that uh, peace and love always conquers. So. Um, it, it may take time, it may take a while, but peace and love for sure. That's perfect, man. Thank you so much, man. Yep. Enjoy your day. Be safe yeah. out there. Obviously, we're going to be praying for you, man. Good seeing y'all, man. All right, man. All right. All right. Take, take care. care. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast, episode 32. Uh, time to hit some news and notes. V, but before we hit some news and notes, let's talk a little bit about uh, that interview that we just had with Chris, Chris Hughes, a uh, police officer in Ohio. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was riveting, honestly, because I think, uh, you know, and I told him, told him this also, is that part of what this country and this society needs, particularly when it comes to this issue of police brutality and police killings is honesty. And we need honesty and, and transparency from the departments and empathy. And when you don't hear officers come out and tell, say that they think things are wrong or um, then it just kind of, it, it ruins your idea of what what this thing can be. And it makes, it gives you less hope. What were your thoughts? Yeah, it's that. And um, I think people like him are, are unfortunately, um, rare right mm-hmm. he, has, he has a college degree he thought about what he wanted to do and he actually mm-hmm. is interested in tackling these issues and that's part of the reason he's in the police force it's not just a job to him right yeah. um and it's and it's unfortunate that people like him um aren't thanked uh more than they than they are and it's it is a thankless job but you know when change happens a lot of people don't don't if you're doing it for credit then it's not the job for you right yeah no so definitely definitely appreciate people like him and other officers like him i'm sure that exist in police departments throughout the country and and he did highlight 
just how difficult the challenge is. Mm-hmm. You know? and acknowledging acknowledging the issue is the first step, but mm-hmm. acknowledging issues that are this deep and this troubling requires a lot of work to change. And hopefully, you know, we're on the in at the start of the process to actually start making some of these changes. Well, speaking uh, of that. Step. Speaking of that, let's talk about the kind of the concept of like defunding the police. That's kind of the new um, kind of hot button topic that's being talked about across the country. Uh, I, I particularly wanted to bring it up because, first of all, I want to just dis- discuss the concept, but I also wanted to clarify the concept for a lot of people who don't necessarily understand it. When you hear defunding the police, in a lot of people's minds, it's like a shock to the conscience. That means like we're getting rid of all police officers, and they're just going to be everyone just wants crime to run rampant. And it's like no, that's not what defunding the police means and maybe it could be branded better but it's important to actually research and you could find these things fairly easily uh essentially means that how we kind of reimagine how we view police in general in society and understand that police are just one part of kind of the overall health and wellness of the community and there are a lot of other things that matter in terms of budgeting when you're talking about budgeting for a particular area or community how are you allocating your budget? And the reality is that police departments overwhelmingly have a substantial amount of the budget, much more of a, a budget in communities than education does and um, healthcare and maybe social services and different external programs. There are a lot of other ways where you can imagine a budget. And that's what they mean when they say defunding the police is going to each kind of um, situation, department, um, a city and circumstance and see what is actually necessary and how can we reallocate some of these funds to let other segments of our society police um, our society. What are your thoughts on kind of the concept of defunding the police? And um, and I guess maybe just its rollout in terms of the messaging and branding. I think, I think the, the messaging definitely could be better in how mm-hmm. they're rolling this out because people are very confused mm-hmm. uh, on what they mean because some people think it means getting rid of the police and mm-hmm. abolishing the police. And that's not what's happening, but... You know, to understand this issue, you kind of have to understand one of the major issues that governments at all levels have is inefficient use of funds, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and when you look at the numbers for police, it's it's staggering, mm-hmm. right? Um, looking at the data from an article I read from The Guardian, um, essentially in the last four decades, the cost of policing has tripled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a nationwide cost of $115 billion. And why that doesn't make sense specifically is that crime overall in that same time frame has declined, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and, and then they break it down into certain cities. Well, well, let, me, let me say this real quick on that point, because some people are going to say, well, of course it's gone down because we have more police. But there are also studies that show, uh, particularly in New York, when they stopped the stop and frisk thing, that showed that actually crime continued to go down when you removed police completely from certain situations. So yep. it doesn't mean that police cause crime per se, but it does mean that sometimes we over-police certain situations, certain environments, certain types of crimes that don't necessarily require the type of policing that we have today. Yeah. So it's kind of a reimagining of how we police in general. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and, and then looking at these budgets specifically city by city, in in LA, for example, um, the police account for more than fifty percent of the city's budget. So when we go and we want to attack and address these deeper issues of how do we police the police? When you give somebody that much of the budget, um, and you give them that that's power in capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they have this large of a budget, 
it does take away from other things that are more important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone would agree that having better schools is important. Having more community um, initiatives and services is more is more important. Mm-hmm. Than just having someone, more people around to police and prevent. Um, that's that's actually kind of almost anti-American. We whenever you listen to our propaganda when we talked about other other countries and places, oh, it's a police state. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the people don't have the power. Well, in America, you do essentially are saying the police have the power, at least at the city level, because they have the most money, they have the most resources, and therefore they have the most power. And that's a very, very, very troubling thing that we need to address. Defunding is definitely not just a conversation, it's mandatory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because right now we are operating inefficiently in a, in a, at the city level. How do we reallocate that efficiently? And also, one last thing that I'll say is that you'll find, and, and you brought this point up, policing isn't the only way to prevent crime. Mm-hmm. It's if you create an economy and you help to create an economy and you create services to help people yep. who potentially think about doing crime, mm-hmm. give them services that that allow them to avoid that path, that also will reduce crime. And that's been proven well, uh, you just touched on something throughout saying, the world. Yeah. I mean, you touched on the psychology, right? The question, a lot of times, and you know, we always talk about this. We always care about the why more than the what. Obviously the what matters, but the why is very important. Why do people commit crime? Why do people find themselves in certain situations? And the reality is, is that a lot of people find themselves in certain situations because they don't have, or at least feel like they have alternatives or they don't have proper education or they don't have proper resources. Um, you know, some people will do bad things regardless, but that's, you know, you have people who have, you know, Bernie Madoff and people who have billions who are still going to do bad things. But the point is that there are other ways to imagine policing. Policing doesn't just mean, oh, I go and arrest you. And, you know, I think everyone thinks that, oh my God, we take cops off the street. Everything's going to go up. It's like, no, there are a lot of things that officers do that shouldn't even necessarily be in their, in their purview. Um, and that's why I think, but I think another important thing and it is, and we, we could talk about this all day, but I at least want to mention it, is I think it's important that everyone goes and watches 13th, which is um, a documentary on Netflix done by Ava DuVernay, essentially that talks about kind of um, policing, um, criminal justice, you know, the prison industrial complex, all of these things and how the actual economics behind it and who's actually benefiting from over-policing and more people being put in jail um, not even from a racial component, obviously, but even deeper than that. And I think that when you start to see those things, you start to realize like, wow, maybe my concept of what I thought policing was overall uh, and the reasons for it aren't exactly what they actually are. So, um, obviously- and, and, and this is the thing, like, you know, I think it's important, you know, I think 13th is, is, is great to watch. But it's important for America as a whole to understand that this isn't just a black American issue, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Defunding the police benefits everyone, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and I think defunding, I I don't even want to use that, reallocating resources from the police. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that economy exists, and this is the truth throughout capitalism, is because the people as a whole tend to not be paying attention Mm -hmm. and not care until a situation like this arises where we're forced to face it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a great opportunity. But when the people do take notice, we have to remember our elected officials, our city officials, they're all elected by mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So they have to do what they what we demand. It's one thing 
for them not to address the issue because they're monetizing it because it's being ignored by mm -hmm. the rest of us voting citizens. That's why it's so crucial for us to take this topic and address it at our local levels, at every local level throughout the country and demand change because yeah. if we demand change, they have to change it. Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking of funding, I guess we get a good segue into um, Michael Jordan, right? And, and George Floyd. He's, and Michael Jordan's not the only one. I think, but Michael Jordan, you know, he came out with a statement and he's, he's shot away, um, or at least in our minds, from publicly being political or, you know. Um, but maybe this isn't even a political issue. And in his mind, he said, look, enough is enough. This is essentially the tipping point. He spoke out against, obviously, racial injustice and, and said it's been going on for far too long. And then also has uh, pledged $100 million to different organizations that, you know, fight for social justice. You know, what are your impressions on on that? You know, what are your impressions on Michael Jordan? Again, you know, he's he's a guy that we've always said is not political and, he, you know, he does all he cares about the sales. But this seems like a, a, a different Michael Jordan than what's been portrayed. Well, I think Chris said it earlier in his interview, right? Like everyone has flaws um, mm -hmm. and everyone has blind spots. Mm -hmm. um, I think with, with Michael Jordan, I think a lot of stuff that he's done, um, he hasn't done um, to get the stuff he does in the community. He doesn't do it and draw attention to it. So he's been right. doing a lot mm -hmm. in communities and, you know, he's experienced it. He, he yeah. talked about it on the last dance. Part of his reason for wanting to be a basketball player is to get the hell out of the racist town he lived in, in North Carolina. So, yeah. You know, and, and what this shows is that what I think America needs to understand is that there's no escaping this for black Americans, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter if you're Michael Jordan. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're, if you're the most famous, if you're LeBron James, you know, I, I personally witnessed LeBron being handcuffed by police for no reason at all mm -hmm. um, outside of a nightclub. He hadn't been drinking. Mm -hmm. He hadn't been doing anything. So these are issues that you can't escape with money. And in America, you say, well, money is the cure-all for all, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think part of this is Jordan understanding that this is, this is happening to people in my family. This has happened to me, and it's not right. And then the second part of this is, you know, we talked about this last week, is that the Jordan brand, the reason he's a billionaire is in large part, not, I won't say large part, but has a lot to do with black culture accepting the Jordan brand mm -hmm. as one of the preeminent brands. Right. That's pretty much the domino that leads to all the other markets of the Jordan brand being successful. So if you are the Jordan brand, if you are Nike, and if you are some, any brand, the music industry is talking about this too, who generates revenue and makes money off of black Americans you better start giving to these causes and you better start speaking up and using your platform for change because your platform is way bigger than the community activists platform. Mm -hmm. That's just the nature of America. So I'm well, very happy Jordan's doing this. And I think um, it should be a trigger for, for many other companies to do it as well. Yeah. Um, so let's switch topics. Let's talk about basketball. I mean, obviously, our NBA, obviously we're talking about Jordan. Um, let's talk about the NBA. The NBA is is returning at the end of July, July 31st. Um, there's some questions for why they chose that date. I heard Jalen Rose say something that I thought was interesting, which is that, um, you know, someone basically said, why don't just start now? Why, why, why are we waiting until, 
you know, July 31st. And he said he, that he, he's heard that they're essentially expecting another wave of COVID. Um, and so this give, this time frame gives them a chance for another wave to come in and potentially get flattened again by the time that they would start the season. So I thought that was interesting. Essentially going to be 22 teams in a bubble um, in, in Disney and Orlando. Uh, what are your thoughts about kind of the season restarting um, and kind of how, how do we evaluate, you know, the results of this season? You know, do we give it, do we put an asterisk next to it or do we give it the same weight um, of championships in the past? Yeah, there are two things I want to, I want to say. First, just addressing the fact that you do have to complete the season, right? Mm-hmm. It's possible if you have a business, you, you complete the season, right? Mm-hmm. It's done mm-hmm. in a safe way. Um, that's, that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think, you know, forever, they're, they're, they're always going to be asterisks around certain things. When a team wins a championship in a lockout shortened season, for example, mm-hmm. there's going to be a population of people say, well, there's an asterisk next to it. It's not right. the same as, as going through a full 82 game season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the NBA, we, the NBA is owed our trust uh, mm-hmm. more so than any other league that we have because they've shown time and time again that they take action, um, that they're going to do things and think things through. Adam yeah. Silver is the best commissioner um, in, the, in, in sports. Both of you, you and I agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's trust it. Let's enjoy it. But I also think the NBA specifically, right? I'm not sure what the most recent number is, but there's also, they have a huge platform and you're seeing all these NBA players coming out, Russell Westbrook in Compton. Mm-hmm. This is also provides a huge opportunity to educate and, and magnify the movement that's happening in America that I'm excited about as well. Yeah. I, I I'm looking forward to it because I think, uh, first of all, you know, we need sports, right? I mean, not, not, not to say that we shouldn't be dealing with the issues of the day, day to day, right? The hard stuff. But we also do need escapes from it, even for your own mental health. Uh, you, need, you do need escapes from some of the hard stuff, you know? And so I think it coming back is good. Baseball is also talking about coming back uh, with a shortened season, I think 75 to 80 games. And there's some issues with figuring out how they're going to pay their players and pro rata paying and all that type of stuff. Uh, it looks like a lot of, a lot of, team or leagues are trying to figure out ways to come back. Um, and, and speaking of that, the NCAA football, it looks as though NCAA football has a real shot of, of having a season this year. Um, maybe not with fans or full capacity, but we have guys back on campus. For example, Ohio state is back on, back on campus um, for voluntary, voluntary workouts all across the country. Um, but yeah, it seems as though, you know, we're trying to get back to normal. There's all kinds of data emerging that maybe we're, we flattened it and, you know, it's not going to necessarily come back the way we thought, or, you know, there's still, it's still developing. Um, but what are your thoughts on kind of football, college football, again, returning in and, and what issues we have to deal with? I with mean, that? I'm okay with preparing for a season, mm-hmm. right? But I'm still not, look, America has the most cases and most deaths from this this virus in the world. I understand we have to reopen the economy. We have to do things, but I'm telling you, I'm seeing a sense of typical, typical reaction, right? Which is, well, people are sick of it. So 
let's just let's just declare not it over. Let's declare it over and whatever right. happens, happens. Whoever dies, dies. Right. But I don't understand how this thing was such a huge concern. We had to socially distance ourselves three weeks ago. And now it seems like, well, let's open everything up. And the second concern that I have with opening everything up again is that, is this, are we all going to be so distracted by our distractions and all these things coming back? that we're not taking it seriously. I know myself when I go to Kroger, I'm not seeing people wear masks as much or people wash Mm -hmm. or people taking the care. When you start signaling that everything is okay, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Football's back, basketball's back. So everything's back to normal. Let me go out, not wash my hands. Let me, you know, rub my face. Is that, is that an issue? And I'm going to ask you that question. Are you concerned about that? And then also distracting from these important social issues, um, that we're having, how do you think bringing back all of these things, hobbies and sports and entertainment may impact that? So the, the, the crazy thing is I feel like there's a spectrum of, of where people are on, particularly when it comes to COVID, right? I think there's some people that say, this is a hoax all the way to people saying, this is the worst thing that we've ever seen in society. And we should, we shouldn't open back up until there's a vaccine, right? And then there's a lot of in between. And then there's a lot of nuance, right? And then there's a lot of, you know, um, circumstantial kind of analysis, right? Every, you know, the analysis for a gym, for example, may not be the analysis for a daycare, which may not be analysis for the NBA, which may not be analysis for college basketball, right? Yeah. So it's like, we're, we're kind of trusting all of our, all of the leaders in, in each in individual industry to make the decisions, proper decisions according to the data that they have. Yeah. Uh, and, and one, but one thing that you touched on, which I think is is scary, is a lot of people don't have the ability or the time to necessarily analyze every single circumstance. So, for example, the risk of going to a grocery store versus going to a gym versus going to a game might be three different risks. But yeah. if I I don't know if everyone has necessarily the capability to understand what those risks are. So a lot of times we are trusting the people in leadership to kind of evaluate those risks. Um, but what I, what I am seeing and what I do think is, is, is honestly true is that, you know, there's some people who have accepted easier than others that look, man, people are going to die from this thing, period. You know, you got to figure out a way to live with it. Wash your hands, you know, wear a mask or socially distance and just, you know, it is what it is. And I understand that because at the, to I understand kind of, understanding that disease happens in society, right? This isn't the only disease or anything that kills people. And then the frustration of months and months of being, having your lifestyle. hundred percent, which is part of what people don't realize about the protest. Part of the protest is not just George Floyd. Obviously that's a huge issue. And he was a spark and police brutality was a spark. But you also have people who are frustrated, people who are unemployed, people who, you know, don't like the leadership, don't like what's happening in government. Well, there's a lot of factors that mix, mixed into this. So um, I think, but I do, here's what I will say. With all the, pro, first of all, there are a lot of protests where people are wearing masks. You know, there's somebody told me they're at a protest in Ohio where like 90% of people have masks on. So that doesn't mean that people aren't getting COVID or spreading it, but um, that's just important to note. But I think with all of these large gatherings that we've seen from the protests and people who are actually willing to risk their lives or their health because they believe in such a cause, we're going to see in the next few weeks or, or months you know, whether or not there's another wave. Um, and we have to be ready for, like you said, either situation. If there's not, 
that we got to kind of get back to normal, you know, and, and not normal, but we got to get back to, you know, oper operating. And obviously, like you said, keeping precautions, but eventually people are going to let their guard down um, when they start to see, like you said, things opening back up and people not, you know, they're kind of, you know, energy creates energy. I know myself, I could be in a certain environment and do something that I wouldn't have typically done if the energy of that environment wasn't like that. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one scary thing. But I think, you know, at this point, the, 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 the curve is flattened. Um, that's pretty much true across the board. There are probably some places where it's going up and stuff like that. But for the most part, the curve in the United States is flattened. Many cities aren't dealing with the type of, I mean, New York city had a day where I don't think they had any COVID deaths. That's crazy for as big as New York yeah. is. So you kind of got to move forward. And, but I do think this is a constant analysis. I do not think, Oh, it's over. You know, I think it's a constant analysis, a constant reevaluation. So we'll see. Yeah. And, and moving, my main thing is just exercising caution and moving with caution and continuing to highlight the risks of this thing, right? As long as you're doing that and, and you're not just kind of, and this is the issue that I have with media. It's like, it seems like their narratives change according to the mood of society. So even what people are going to, to rely on for the information that they use to make decisions isn't, isn't, it's kind of goes with the times too. What's popular, what's moving the needle at this point. So it's what's, what's tough for me is what is the reliable information? Because you were telling me one thing two weeks ago, you know, um, and now you're telling me something different. So that's, that's the hard part of this thing. But I do think, um, having sports, um, for the people who are playing sports and involved with that economy, they must try to figure out how do they do that. As long you as have you to figure it out. As long as you're doing it and you're thinking about safety first, yeah. Um, especially at college, Pro pros as we've always said is different, but yeah. there's a different level of care that you have to take when these guys aren't getting paid, mm -hmm. um, and the only people benefiting financially are you, right? So there's I, a I different say, level. Let me say one last thing on, on on the virus, which I think is important to understand, is that you know people are and people are frustrated, understandably so, about when new data emerges or new studies emerge or whatever, and, and, it, and it seemingly contradicts something that you feel like you've heard before. And we've talked to visit, you and I both have talked to physicians about this in our family and outside of our family who essentially said this, listen, this thing is still developing. This thing yeah. is, is, is changing. You know, there are different factors that can change things during, including weather that can change things over the course of viruses. So just because something was true, you know, a month ago, and it's not necessarily true today. It doesn't mean that it was wrong information at the time. It just means that things have changed and developed. The, the, the issue, I think, is that people haven't, the people who are giving some of this information haven't necessarily branded that part of it that well, which yeah. is when they're presenting information, it's almost like, this is the data. This is what we need to do. This is what you need to do without also saying like, listen, things can change rapidly with this thing. Understand that this is just the best available data that we have at the time, but this is very new. This is novel studies are being done, you know, there's certain things that we're seeing in this state or this country are different than we're seeing here. Like let people understand that um, and which they, which they haven't done. But let's move on from that real quick because I wanted to get to um, something that's happened, that happened this week um, when the Demo Democrats returned senators, when they returned to work. They did a gesture that's been kind of a, a hot topic, obviously on social media where they knelt for eight, eight minutes and 46 seconds in honor of George Floyd's life. But they also did so in kinti cloth. And <laughs> when I saw it, I tweeted, stop the charades and, and get back to work. Like, we don't, we don't need that. 
you know? Um, and and it, it reminded me that like, it, it, it's so frustrating to say this because, you know, we're, these are elected officials and that type of thing. And you kind of expect more out of them, but it just seems as though politicians and, you know, obviously not everyone and all that stuff, but they just, giving us bullshit, man, and charades and, and, and lip service and putting on shows. Like, you know what the issues are and don't yeah. act like you just need the George Floyd situation to know what the issues are, you know? What are you actually doing? And if and, and some people are trying. I don't want to say nobody's trying because I, I hate when people say that. It's not true. There are people who are trying. There are people who try to get things passed and they get blocked. Those things do happen. But get shit done. I mean, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't want to see the charade. Just get shit done. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Right. And, and this is where there's so much mistrust of our politicians mm-hmm. is yesterday was a charade, right? Mm-hmm. You have a whole bunch of white Democrats in election year trying to prove to a voter base that they care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has been the issue, right? For political parties forever with minority communities and specifically the black community is that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. a charade. You guys mm-hmm. say what you need to do put on a show to win political points and gain our votes. Mm-hmm. But when it actually comes to doing something real, yeah, it's great that you sympathize with us. You feel sorry for what we're, we're going through, but what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because you go into office and that those issues get to the bottom of the list, no matter who's in office and who's mm-hmm. in power until they're forced to deal with them. And, and that just shows you what they care about, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, Wow, you guys just really want to prove that you're down, right? Versus yeah. proving that you are elected officials that know how to address and fix issues. Like nobody, nobody needs to to see that you're with the cause as an elected official. And it's just very, very disheartening. And it shows again how much room we have to improve. Um, in America and how wide the disconnect is. Because if you had any sort of sense of connectivity, that's not how you would approach this scenario. Absolutely not. I agree, I agree with you 100%. And then, you know, you also have Mitt Romney <laughs> marching with Black Lives Matter protesters. And, you know, who knows what the value of that is. But it, it's just interesting time in our political day. And, and like you said, we have to start really, really holding people accountable. And speaking of accountability, I guess the last thing we'll talk about before we get out of here is you know we've we've gotten a lot of feedback um on our last on last week's show with kind of how we um addressed our white america and our and you know our white friends and um kind of the obligation of white america moving forward as it pertains to these particular racial issues uh what are what are some of your kind of thoughts on that i mean i know we, we spoke on it a little bit last week but let's touch on it again because i think a lot of people actually enjoyed and i've gotten a lot of feedback they enjoyed hearing it from us yeah I want. I mean, I think we should specifically talk about white people who care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the truth in our country is there's still a population of everybody who has the right, you have the right not to care, right? Mm-hmm. Supposedly. Um, it may not be in your best interest, but you have the right not to. Mm-hmm. But if you care, right? And, and I'm seeing this a lot is on social media, you're making posts. A lot of people are making posts on social media. They're lending their voice um, to the cause. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the responsibility that you have is to first understand the issue. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, um, watching 13th. I know mm-hmm. for a fact 
that the majority of people who watch things like that are people from the community who are impacted mm-hmm. more than it is from the majority, right? Mm-hmm. And and why white people are important is you do represent the majority in this country. Mm-hmm. And for change to happen in a democratic political system, mm-hmm. the majority has to want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't want your voices to dial down, but also your voice matters. Just let's be frank. Mm-hmm. Your voice matters more than a person of color's voice matters in this country right now. So you yeah. have to use that platform to, to, to level the playing field however you can. Writing your mayor, you know, writing your police commissioner. Mm-hmm. If, if the majority of voices are your voices and they look like you, let, just to be honest, change will happen. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's, I think that's right. And I think, um, you know, some of this takes courage, right? I think some people don't know what to do. Right. And they've, you know, they've, like I've had friends hit me up again. I, I said this last week, but I'll say it again. I've had friends hit me up asking what to do. I think the first thing is just be courageous. Right. Like I said, I think the first thing is self-examination, understand who, who are you, what have you been impacted by? What have you, what biases have you allowed to enter your, your mind and body consciously and subconsciously? How, how have you personally dealt with issues of race and understanding issues of race and understanding different cultures. So that's one. And then I think, so there's a lot of research you can do there um, in terms of just understanding the history of, of people, you know, their roots, go read roots or watch roots. You know, um, you mentioned 13th, like I said, go look up uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, not just the Martin Luther King that, you know, has been whitewashed. Don't, don't, don't Google Martin Luther King quotes. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Actually go, go listen to some of his policy suggestions and, and, um, you know, there's a lot of actual research that you can do. And then in terms of actions, you mentioned, I think the substantial, you know, some of the things you said are, are awesome. People don't think that that's enough. You don't have to go like tear the whole city down to, to be effective. You can, you know, write your your local officials. Obviously, voting is something that's always important. You can, you know, express your displeasure on social media and in and, and your social circles. Um, shut people down who say or do certain things. Share information with people that you may be privy to that they may not be privy to. There's a lot that 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 can be done here. And here, um, if, if you understand constitutional law or, or how government works, you know, think of look at the look at look at look at things. See mm-hmm. if there are ways that you can can propose things or fix things. Right? Because also, you know, if if, if you are a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be taken more seriously. And I also think, you know, the last thing that I'll, that I'll say on this is that we have to look at this as this isn't just something that's going to help the black community because it's going to help our entire, that's the way I look at it. Right. Um, Improving the relationship um, with the black community in America improves the well-being and happiness of the entire country. Right. And, and, and that's, that's spot on and not to cut you off, but I think this is important. I, I tweeted this the other day too. imagine how many, I guess, inventions or, you know, thoughts and, and creative ideas um, that we've been deprived of as a society. Right. Things that we enjoy, because all the things that we enjoy aren't things that necessar- that white people created. All of the things that we've been deprived of from from people who've gotten their life stopped short, or yep. people who haven't had the opportunity. Imagine all of the creative people in different segments of society who haven't had opportunity and what they could bring to society 
if they were given opportunity. And I think that your point is spot on. This isn't just a, a, a thing about we should care about black people. It's it's a it's it's all society should care about it. How we're treating all of our citizens, and understanding that if everybody's happy, or if everybody's being attended to, um, that that creates a better society for everybody. And um, so that's what we I, I wholeheartedly believe we should aspire to do. So that's all we have today um, for news and notes. You're listening to Pilot Boys Podcast, episode thirty two. Shout out to Premier Podcast for getting us set up with our podcast during this quarantine period. Make sure you guys check them out for all of your podcast needs at premierpodcast.com. And make sure you check them out on social media at Premier Podcast. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Chris Hughes. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Also follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswan. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on up.